This episode is brought to you by the AIA Film Challenge. Let architecture inspire your next short for a chance to win $5,000 in a screening at the Architecture and Design Film Festival in New York. The fourth annual AIA Film Challenge invites filmmakers to team with architects and share stories of architects and civic leaders designing a better future for our communities. Register today at AIAFilmChallenge.org. That's AIAFilmChallenge.org. Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a No Film School podcast. I'm Liz Nord. I'm Eric Lures. I'm John Fusco. And it's June 21st, 2018. On this week's show, how MoviePass is putting the rotten in Rotten Tomatoes, why podcasts are the new muse for development execs, and as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. Hello out there. Welcome to this week's episode of Indie Film Weekly from downtown Brooklyn, New York. As always, we're here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy working on film projects, and you might have missed some of us. This is the first time the three of us have been back together in the booth for a while. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had to serve a two-week suspension for stealing a stapler in the office, and <laughs> there there was an intense investigation, and, and it did lead back to me. So you know what? I, I have to I have to come clean. Guilty as charged. Well, thanks to your thousands and thousands of tweets demanding Eric's return. Yes, I came have, back. We have brought Eric I had back a great, to I the show. Drove past a Waffle House, but we didn't go in in Florida. I uh, went to a Perkins though, which was great. And uh, I saw Hereditary again. I took my mom. She wanted to see Book Club, and I said no. So you took uh, your mom to Hereditary? Yeah, yeah. She was down. She was down. She liked it. I think she liked it. Are you I hope kidding? She liked it. Uh, no, she no. I, I, you know, I explained it to her a little bit. She wanted to see Book Club, but I mean, that would have been a horrific experience. Oh my God! Could you imagine going to Book Club with your mom? I think I would die. Well, I think you have to go with your mom if you're going to go to Book Club. Why? What's so bad about Book Club? I don't know. It just, it's it's, it just... A, it's about a bunch of older ladies who like get turned on watch reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I maybe yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> I didn't know that. I guess uh, that shit does sound terrible. <laughs> Listen, I saw Mulholland Drive in the theaters with my mom. It was excruciating. Ah, yeah. Nice. Anyway, um, so for those of you who listen to this show, you'll know that I've been waiting almost a year to make this next very big announcement. Today, June 21st, is the first day of summer. <laughs> wow. This weather report has been brought to you by the AIA Film Challenge. Does that also make it the longest, quote-unquote, day of the year? Like, when we have the longest amount of the sun? The solstice? Yeah, right. I think okay. so. I think so. And here we are inside, typing away at our computers and in a booth. Wow. Hurrah. Um, but anyway, I'm very excited. I've been anticipating summer for several months. As you all know, now it's officially here. No one in this booth is allowed to tease me, at least for today. And speaking of summer, we've got a hot, hot take from Mr. John Fusco. Well, I don't know. I don't know how hot of a take this is because I feel like everyone might feel slightly slighted by this uh, news story, um, especially if you're a Movie Pass user. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with like the subscription-based model of the Movie Pass, and I still appreciate that about them. But I don't appreciate how uh, they are. Uh, maybe underestimating the intelligence of some of their uh, audience. Mm. So with that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the movie Gaudi's alternative marketing plan, we'll call it. 
Each week on Indie Film Weekly, you know, we like to bring up a few movies that are hitting theaters. Um, One film that we didn't mention last week was the limited release of a new John Travolta vehicle called Gotti. Now, I know what you're thinking. We're usually all over John Travolta news, but (laughs) be that as it may, we decided it was better to spare you the recommendation or even the knowledge that this film exists. A biopic of the legendary mobster, the film opened last Friday on 500 screens across the country to a pretty weak box office gross of $1,719,902. Not wasting any time in finding someone to blame for their misfortunes at the box office, Gotti's marketing team quickly took to attacking the critics who panned their movie, calling them out of touch and unable to identify what audiences really want. They backed up this accusation by pointing towards the very same platform that seems to have caused all the trouble in the first place, Rotten Tomatoes. So Gotti has an almost impressively bad tomato meter rating of 0%. What? That's zero fresh reviews compared to 26 Rotten, probably with that number growing, with an average rating clocking in at a miserable 2.4 out of 10. The marketing team zeroed in on another statistic, however, and that is the tomato meter's stark contrast to the quote-unquote audience score. This is a rating which signifies any random user's affinity towards a film, and that's at an unusually high 74%. On Tuesday, a new 16-second marketing campaign for Gotti appeared online with the words, quote, Audiences loved Gotti. Critics put out the hit, teased between brief flashes of footage from the film. The final line featured a direct attack on the critics who had been responding to the film, asking, quote, Who would you trust more, yourself or a troll behind a keyboard? So basically they're calling all of the critics trolls behind keyboards, even though this is sort of their job. They're coming up pretty strong against them, and it seems like a very desperate, yet decidedly of the times, plea for an audience. Things get even more fishy, however, when you go back and study that Rotten Tomatoes audience score that they're so fond of pointing out. Dan Murrell of Screen Junkies tweeted out his own suspicions on Tuesday morning, noticing, quote, On Rotten Tomatoes, the movie Gotti has a quite unique score of 0%, but it has a really good 77% audience score. Looking at it, it has over 6,900 user reviews, which is an insane number for a movie that opened to a miserable 1.7 million on 500 screens. He then decided to investigate the matter further. To put things in perspective in terms of the amount of user reviews, Gotti's 6,900 are just a few less than the week's top-selling film, Incredibles 2, which features 7,454 user reviews. That's also over 2,000 more than Ocean's 8 at 4,592. Incredibles 2 made $180 million at the box office this weekend, so the fact is, these are huge budget blockbuster movies that Gotti appears to be putting up similar numbers to. He then compared Gotti to a film much more similar in terms of scope, the Sundance starling Beirut, which earned $5 million on 700 screens. The film only received 708 user ratings. That seems like a much more realistic number. So is it possible that distributors, vertical entertainment, and movie pass ventures are padding these numbers unfairly, not only to sway public opinion on the film, but also roll out a lazily produced ad campaign? Unfortunately, all signs point to yes. Dang. The dagger comes after Reddit user Wonder underscore three went in to take a look at the written user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, only to realize that of the first 58 reviews, 45 had come from accounts created in June 2018. Out of those 45, 32 had only reviewed Gotti. Look at that. The movie's inspiring people to engage with film. 
I assume they're real people. <laughs> yeah, Rotten Tomatoes should be happy that, you know, Gotti is attracting people to their platform. Finally, cinema is, you know, relevant again thanks to this movie. But the uh, more observant of us will notice that things get even worse as he discovered that seven of those reviews had only reviewed Gotti and one other movie. That movie? Movie Fast Ventures American Animals. Bart Layton's film was their first acquisition in partnership with The Orchard, released on June 1st, 2018. Gotti is their second. Oh, crap. Listen, some people are just very loyal to studios, you know. I'm just sort of like marveling over how ironic it is that they're they're accusing the um, critics of being trolls. Meanwhile, they're like, looks like they're using bots to like fake out Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, well, maybe, but who knows? Maybe there's just a bunch of dedicated gaudy heads yeah. out there that are really trying to get the word out on this film, and it's all legit. But either way, it's you know not a good look for MoviePass, which is a company that has undergone some public doubt as of late. But perhaps all the silver lining here, it, it comes down to the fact that that this may actually have the exact opposite effect of what Gotti's campaign team was looking to do in the first place, which is that audiences should actually always be looking to find critics whose taste they trust and whose writing they identify with when deciding whether or not to see a film and not on user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes or audience scores or anything like that. So I don't know. It's a catch-22 and it's really weird and shady and fishy and as much as I want to continue to like MoviePass, it's just gotta like they gotta mellow out a bit. I think. I don't know. I mean, we've evangelized for MoviePass on this show several times. We've all become members. And I think from an indie perspective, what really sucks about this is that American Animals, like we were excited for American Animals and for Bartlett and when it got picked up by MoviePass because we thought they were really going to champion indies. But if they're championing indies in like a shady, underhanded way that's going to ultimately turn off audiences, I mean, that that hurts us all. Yeah, and it also doesn't make sense because I believe American Animals got pretty decent reviews, but why should we trust these trolls behind a keyboard? You know? Yeah. So maybe American Animals is really terrible. If we're meant not to trust the critics, American Animals may be uh, the worst movie of the year. I wonder what the audience score uh, for American Animals is. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, it just... it Also, like, bringing that negative... It does bring negative attention to your film. Why would you outright say, you know, all these people hated it but you know, I don't. I don't but know. They're it's just, just like, trolls. Yeah, it's like if you were like designing a new car, you wouldn't point out the bad reviews that say how it's like malfunctioning. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's just like real consumers will get into this Jeep. You know, it's like you're not going to do that. I don't know. Yeah, it's like saying you know, this car. Like all of these consumer reports say that this car will malfunction, yeah. but the users haven't had the car malfunction <laughs> yet. Nobody's dead. Yeah, exactly. Those that died have no feedback. <laughs> exactly. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so if that news has sworn you off of all things MoviePass and you have a little extra room in your digital wallet, AMC announced yesterday morning that they will be getting into the movie ticket subscription rewards game because, you know, why not? Uh, called AMC Stubbs A-List. Oh, that's a terrible name. It's hard to say. Uh, the new service kicks off June 26th and will be available for nineteen ninety five a month. Once you become a member, you're entitled to three complimentary movies a week. That averages out to 12 movies a month on top of the regular benefits and swag that AMC already provides to its, stay with me, AMC Stubbs Premier members. Now, 
If you recall, AMC has been feuding with MoviePass as of late. At one point, they refused to accept the $9.95 a month service within their theaters, and then AMC eventually caved and reaccepted MoviePass after an impending backlash was looming. Uh, but the two companies that both specialize in the color red have never been on great terms. Uh, unlike MoviePass, where you're required to be within close proximity of the intended movie theater, uh, which can also be kind of awkward. Like sometimes I'll go like an hour early and just wait outside, and I just feel like a creep. Because I am. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the AMC Stubbs A-List program will allow you to purchase your tickets in advance while also allowing you to purchase tickets for even the premium selections, which MoviePass does not allow, including, I hope you have a notepad ready, IMAX at AMC, Dolby Cinema at AMC, Real D 3D, Prime at AMC, and Big D. Oh, boy. I don't know what Big that's D for their, is. That's for their adult movie selections. <laughs> but, but with AMC Stubbs A-List, you can get Big D and all the other selections. Hopefully I've never Big heard D of this. and no Stubbs. It's okay. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I mean, obviously it's only uh, AMC participating, but it does, you know, it, it is, I guess, kind of helpful to not have to be there in, you know, close proximity and get them in advance and things of that nature. Um you know, it's just another kind of way. And there's no rollover. So if you don't use your three movies in one week, you don't get six the next. It's mm-hmm. just 12 a month. Does this also mean that uh, they're going to stop accepting MoviePass again? Or are they going to continue accepting MoviePass? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I was wondering that too. I, the, well, the articles I read did not mention if they're discontinuing MoviePass outright. I guess usage. we'll uh, just see in the coming weeks then. So so many. I don't know what Regal's doing. I'm sure they have their own rewards program as well. Yeah, it could just be the start of a whole new thing for, uh, I guess, theater exhibitors. Yeah. And like for me, it feels a little annoying. Like, why should I sign up for all these things? But I guess in most towns, they don't have every flavor of theater. Like we're in New York where we have AMC and Regal and Landmark and all these chains. But I guess if you're in a town like many towns probably are where there's just an AMC, then it makes a lot of sense for you to join up. Yeah, and that was kind of the beauty, or is the beauty of MoviePass, that it does incorporate all of them, or did. Right. Or that was the idea. So that that would be the only thing you have to work through. That's the middleman, in a way. So these individualized ones definitely seem less flashy, but you're right. If that's all you have in your area, it would make sense. I think overall, it's just exciting that there's innovation happening and that companies are trying to get people into theaters. And, you know, our field is just changing so much. And speaking of those innovations, I have... Uh, a story that's kind of, you know, related at least on ter- in terms of like new trends scale. Um, so remember a couple of years ago when a bunch of web series were being turned into movies and TV shows? Well, it seems that networks and studios have a new muse and it's the very medium that you're listening to now, podcasts. Just last week, it was announced that director Tom McCarthy, who won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Spotlight in 2015, is in talks to direct the movie version of This American Life's popular podcast miniseries, S-Town, for participant media. Just how popular was S-Town? According to the New York Times, episodes of S-Town were downloaded 16 million times in its first week of release. By way of comparison, it took eight weeks for the first season of Serial to reach that number, and if you recall, Serial was the first series to become what we might call a podcast blockbuster. You may not be surprised to hear in that case that Serial is also getting the visual treatment. It's becoming a four-hour documentary series for HBO. So S-Town is going to be a fictionalized movie based on a documentary journalism podcast. Serial is going to be a docu-series based on a true crime podcast. 
And these announcements are coming in the midst of a year when all sorts of different iterations of this formula are happening. One of my favorite podcasts, Two Dope Queens, became an HBO series this year, which basically plays out like a live stand-up show. So it has its whole own, you know, iteration of this. Um, And our friends at Gimlet, from whom we inherited this very podcast booth, have even started a film and TV wing called Gimlet Productions that's working on several series, including turning its scripted mystery show Homecoming into an Amazon Prime series starring Julia Roberts and an adaptation of its series Crime Town for FX. And this trend is really worth paying attention to for those of us making media and hoping to get paid for it. Nina Rosenstein, HBO's exec vice president of original programming, told CNN Money, quote, as podcasts become more popular, it's another pool of source material for people like me who are looking for strong voices, end quote. So what's the takeaway? Well, one, if you're looking for source material and inspiration yourself, you might want to start listening to more podcasts. If you hear something that you think you could turn into a movie or series, reach out and see if you could option it or work with the show's producers on something. On the flip side, if you're working on a series or movie script that isn't getting the traction you'd like, maybe consider making it into a podcast first and see if you can use that to get attention and build an audience for what could become a film or show later. As we keep saying on the show, it's an exciting time to be a media maker, and you can look out for the Indie Film Weekly television series on HBO next month. I was just thinking about that. Like, why don't we actually turn ours into a a series or or a film? I, I don't mind going feature. I mean, we've yeah. talked about this before. I yeah. think the puppet version, like the yeah. Muppet version, yeah, 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 would yeah. Be, yeah. I'd be... I could provide my voice, you know. And I actually wondered if that was supposed to be a pun that uh, Nina Rosenstein says we were looking for strong voices, you know? Oh. Strong voices, like podcast voice or like artistic voices. You that know? Nina Rosenstein She's is clever. She's always a jokester. <laughs> and for this week's tech news, here's Mr. Charles Hain. Hey, everybody. This is Charles Hain here with Tech News for Indie Film Weekly. First up this week is Project Rush from Adobe. I can't help but think about that Bike Messenger movie, Maximum Rush, was it? With like the streaky cover. Uh, I guess it could also be like the band, uh, which they make a lot of jokes about on Archer. But regardless, Project Rush from Adobe, which is a new beta. It is invite only, but it's so cool we should talk about it even though it's still invite only. Basically, Project Rush is a single interface post tool. It allows you to edit and title and color and do sound and publish directly to your social channels, all from a single interface. Although that alone wouldn't really be news. I mean, technically, Final Cut 10 and DaVinci Resolve both already do that. And Final Cut 10, 300 bucks. DaVinci Resolve, 300 for the full version, free. What makes Rush exciting? So the key here is that the promise of Adobe Creative Cloud is really getting pushed to the front with Project Rush. The way it's designed to work is you'll put your dailies up on the cloud, and then you'll be able to like start working on set on a laptop. Then let's say you're like taking the train or getting driven back to the office. You're in a cab or something. You don't have like a chauffeur. You can start working on your iPad, on, keep working on your iPad on the project that you started on the laptop. Then you get back to the office, you fire up your iMac or your Dell desktop, and you start working on the same project seamlessly. You're not moving a hard drive from machine to machine. You're not moving any of that. And then here's the part that we're most excited about. You wrap it up on the desktop, you go out to dinner, and then the client texts and is like, oh, we spelled the name wrong. You've got to fix it right now. And you don't have to like run back to the office. You can fire it up from your iPhone. All of your tools are there. All of the media is there. You can make a tweak and deliver it straight to social from your iPhone. If this works, this is the goddamn future. 
holy cow, please get, let this work. And like add Dropbox and Frame.io integration and we will all use this for way more than just social video. I mean, yes, it's super annoying that clients email you at like midnight on a Friday night. And like, yes, should you just be living your life? Sure. But if the job is big enough, you're going to notice the client email and you're going to check it. And if it, and if this is a choice between like, all right, I got to run back to the office and fix this or I can just fix this on my phone and all the media is on the cloud and all the typefaces are on the cloud and they're all working together. Oh, please let this work. This is the promise of the cloud. Now, let's be honest, this is probably going to work way better in South Korea and Sweden and other countries with legit fast internet. Uh, North America has very slow internet, but hopefully Adobe has thought about North America. Uh, I think we're a big market for them, and they've worked out the kinks enough for some sort of low bandwidth proxy workflow for this to work on not super fast internet. Uh, they're really focusing this on like social media creators, but I think the tool set could be much more useful on a much wider stage. So keep our fingers crossed. Up next, Sigma is shipping their art lenses natively in Sony E-mount. This is big news because Sigma is integrating with the native autofocus and image stabilization tools in Sony. And Sony murders it in autofocus. And for a long time, if you wanted that full Sony experience, second to none, you need not only like that tiny little lightweight Sony body, but you also needed to pay for the big, heavy Sony lenses. The Sony art lenses are super popular in all sorts of platforms, and you could always have adapted them to Sony E-mount, but having them native in Sony E-mount with the follow focus sort of optimized to work with Sony is going to be a huge benefit for all you like A7S, A7 III, A9 shooters out there who want to build a whole lens kit of a variety of a bunch of big, beautiful primes without maybe breaking the back because the Sigma art lenses are going to be a little more cost-effective than some of those Sony G lenses are going to be. Um, now, is it going to be as good as the native Sony autofocus? We don't know. We haven't tested it yet. But honestly, if it's even close to as good, if it's like 80% as good as the native autofocus performance you're getting in those Sony lenses, it's really worth looking at. Um, so, yeah, we are excited to see that. Our last bit of gear news this week is we did a deep dive into hands-on with ProRes RAW. ProRes RAW was obviously announced back at NAB. It was one of the biggest news of the show. It allows you to shoot RAW, but in the ProRes format, so it's not like tied to any specific camera manufacturer. It was really being pushed Atomos on the ground and DJI in the sky. From what we hear, Atomos did a lot of work with Apple really refining the format and figuring out a way to take the sensors off camera data and wrap them up into the ProRes codec, and we're really excited by it. But we were sort of... It was interesting because we kept seeing all this demo footage that was beautiful. And don't get me wrong, I like beautiful demo footage, but usually, like, if you shoot something perfectly and it's perfectly exposed and then the lighting is just right and your color balance is just right and it looks dynamite, and it's ProRes 422, that's fine. Like, if you're not going to be, like, pushing it around and stepping on it in post, ProRes 422 is amazing. So... For me, ProRes RAW, what we really wanted to see was like, you know, that shot where the C camera operator wasn't watching their exposure properly and maybe left the color balance wrong. And, you know, I've worked on big jobs for big commercial clients where the C camera operator, everything was shot at the wrong color balance. It has happened. Um, and 
You know, obviously the DP is sitting on top of a camera, and that should never happen, but sometimes it does. And what I love about Raw, that particular job I am talking about, was a Raw red job, and we brought up the panel, and we fixed all the color balance, and away we went. What I love about Raw is the ability to really correct for those on-set mistakes and really push it around much further in post. So we wanted to see really terrible footage in RAW, and then push it around. So Panasonic loaned us an EVA-1, we pulled out our Shonogun Inferno, and we did some super underexposed, like five stops underexposed, the wrong color balance, it was daylight, and we shot it under tungsten settings on the camera, ProRes RAW, and then we tried to correct it back to normal. And frankly, it did better than 422. You could push it further faster, you could get rid of that blue cast faster, you could get it back to normal exposure faster, could you have probably pushed the 422 quite a bit back and used noise correction? Sure. But for ProRes RAW offered some real benefits for roughly equivalent file size. For the data rate, if you're already cutting Final Cut 10, we think ProRes RAW totally worth it. Actually, maybe even worth considering looking at Final Cut 10 if you were thinking about ProRes RAW. To be thorough, we also got a uh, PIX recorder. Thanks, Andy. Andy hosts a lot of NAB videos and uh, had a PIX recorder we uh, got our hands on. We shot some ProRes 444 with it. We didn't include it in the online article very much because we didn't underexpose the 444 enough. It was like a week later, and it's not quite dark enough to be a good test. But we fussed with it a bunch, and actually ProRes RAW seems to offer even a little bit of benefit over 444. And even if it was the same benefit at 444, the data rate's so much smaller than 444. And if you're working on a big job, data rate really starts to add up that we think that ProRes uh, RAW is really uh, something. It is definitely like a big step forward. And it's an open platform. Right now on the ground, it's always in uh, Atomos and in the sky, it's DJI. But it could theoretically work with any camera manufacturer. It's SDI only right now, but Atomos have made it very clear that they're open to HDMI signals. If the camera manufacturers will give it to them, um, it is definitely an interesting format. And then thank you to Panasonic for loaning us the camera. Thank you to Apple for answering some of our questions. Uh, we also discovered... Um, Final Cut 10 does this interesting thing where it lets you, like in other applications when you're working with RAW, you have like a RAW panel and a color graining panel, and you'll often go back and forth between the two. All of the color graining tools in Final Cut 10 when you're working with Final Cut 10 go straight all the way back to the RAW. So you do any color grade that's in the RAW. It's actually a little simpler. It took me a minute to wrap my head around it, but it was kind of fascinating. So um, take a look at the article for more and sample images. Hey everybody, this is me, Charles Hain, back with Ask No Film School. This week, Justin Mangrich asks a question that we don't have like the perfect answer for, but it's such a fascinating question we wanted to talk about it. Here it is. Is there any way to mark audio video while recording without stopping your scene or interview? I ask because it'd be really helpful to be able to like easily mark moments for post-production without having to stop recording or break my intention so I can write a note. My current idea is to use a tone generator to generate 25 kilohertz tone, which is above human hearing, but it should still be recorded in the audio equipment. Would this work? And what could work better? So, Justin, man, I, like, love this question because it's so nerdy. I also just realized I added a couple of likes when reading your question. He did not write the likes out. I just put those verbally in. 
So let me expand a little bit on your question just to be sure I have it really clear. What I believe you're saying is that you're out alone in the field. You're a one mule team, you're shooting a lot of footage, and you want a convenient way to mark the highlights of that footage to speed up your workflow and posts. So maybe you're shooting like an hour long interview with someone, and when the subject utters the magic soundbite, when you have the Joker saying, I hid the bodies in Arkham, or whatever, uh, I was trying to think of a non-political example there, you want to tag it somehow so that the editor can get right to it. So the editor brings in the footage and they can see in the audio tracks, like your little 25 kilohertz tone, it pops up in the waveform monitor, they drag right through it. And since you're alone, you don't want to stop recording. You want to keep the interview going. So you want something really easy to do, like maybe you just hit a little button or something and it tags. The reason why I'm assuming you're alone is that if you're not a one-mule team, marking these key moments is actually a lot easier. Like in reality TV, there's a dedicated person whose job is to be on set making notes for what's called the paper edit. The paper edit is a sort of list of all the events that happened throughout the day that might be worth looking at because the cameras are all going to be using time of day time code. So in post, the editorial team can look through the paper edit and can be like, all right, 10 a.m. nothing, 11 a.m. nothing, 11.45, wine glass got tossed. They can skim right to that. That is what I'm assuming you would do if there were many of you, but it sounds like you're alone, which one wheel team, if you're good at it, you can get amazing stuff. Or two-person team sometimes, like one doing sound, one doing camera. There's probably a way to integrate it with video because technically video does have, like, room for metadata in it. Uh, all HD formats have, like, a metadata channel. So I'm assuming out there somewhere there's some sort of cool broadcast solution for recording that metadata into the video where you mark it and then you bring it into probably Media Composer because they're going to have, like, a data channel or whatever. And it automatically comes up with like markers in the timeline. That would be really cool. And if you hear us, camera manufacturers and media composer and premiere and resolve, if there would be a way to do like a little mark on set that came right up in editing, actually black magic. If you guys could make it so I could make a marker with a black magic camera and it came right up in resolve, since you make the camera in the post, maybe you guys can do it. Or embarrassingly, if you guys already do this and I just don't know about it, please let us know immediately. I am embarrassed. But assuming you don't, because I've not seen it anywhere, you're going to want to trick it, which means putting that info somehow in the audio channel. I like your audio idea, but I think a 25 hertz tone might be a little tricky, and I personally would be super nervous putting an inaudible tone on the same audio track as my key audio recording, like say that interview. Yes, technically it's inaudible, so it shouldn't be affecting the audible frequencies. But why risk it? It could crosstalk. It could mess with some sort of auto gain. It could, like, maybe with different post applications, it could have different results. Maybe some of the post applications remap inaudible into audible. It all sounds fine on set, but maybe it sounds terrible in post. What if it all sounds fine all through post and then it makes you fail QC? I would be really nervous about it. Technically, you could use, like, a high-cut filter on your audio and that would cut it out. But I personally wouldn't risk it. But here's what I would do. Most modern cameras do multi-track recording. So why not have a notes track, right? You could rig up a microphone for yourself and talk into that notes track. Put your shotgun mic in track one, put your subject lobs on track two, put your own voice into track four. Then in post, you can scan track four for any waveforms and leave notes for yourself. If you didn't want to say something, right, like obviously you don't want to like interrupt someone in an interview or you don't want to like let them know that you thought a moment was important if you're trying to like 
let them get somewhere on their own, maybe you just tap the microphone, right? A tap on a microphone, nobody's going to hear it. It's not going to show up on the other mics, but it's going to be a big old spike. In fact, if you don't have anything else rigged up, maybe you just set one of the internal microphones that most cameras have to a random track and just tap it whenever you want to flag it. You've already got that internal microphone on most little cameras, and you could just do a little tap, and when you turn on waveform view in most of your post apps, you will see that immediately, bam. This is all assuming that you're working on a camera that allows for four tracks or even like two tracks of audio recording. With a lot of the small mirrorless or DSLR cameras, that might be a little bit of tricky. So I'd look into something like, you know, there's the zoom recorders and there's all sorts of other little things that you can attach to get multi-track recording. But interestingly, sound devices who have like a mix pre series, which would be perfect for like pairing with a mirrorless. They also have a tool you should look at, which is the Wingman Bluetooth app that lets you use an iPad or iPhone for monitoring, and here's the key, metadata with your audio. So you could have an iPad open in front of you when you shoot, and you could like tap in little notes, or I know you said you don't wanna write notes, so maybe you can just like create a note at important points in the time code, and just the fact that there's a note there, even if it's empty, even if you don't put anything into it, might be enough for you to speed up your post process. I believe that the notes in Wingman are tied to timecode. And if they're not, come on, sound devices, they totally should be able to be able to make timecode-based notes that would like be super useful. So hopefully it's a thing. If it's not a thing, it should be. This is an area where I think there could be a lot of room for improvement. I think it'd be really great to open up more channels for communicating between production and post. There's a lot of channels out there if you've got a team, like DIT making notes and it gets handed over to the edit and stuff. But for one mule team jobs, I think thinking about like interfaces, you know, I mean, I'd love it if I was on the camera and on my camera grip, there was like a one, two, three button and I could like hit one, two or three and those little markers would come up meaning different things in the edit. Um, ranking takes or whatnot. All right, everybody, thank you very much. This has been Charles Hain for Tech News. And now for some indie films you can catch this week. Kicking off this section with something a little different, the 31st season of POV kicked off on Monday. POV is the longest-running independent documentary series on American television, and the season opener was Jonathan Olszewski's Quest, which he worked on for 10 years before it premiered at Sundance last year. One cool thing that POV does is that they stream most of their films online free for a period immediately after they broadcast, and you don't need a cable subscription to watch them. So you can read our interview with Olszewski on No Film School and then watch Quest now at pbs.org POV. The rest of the season, which airs every Monday night through August 27th with various streaming windows, is also really strong. And we've done interviews and podcasts with several of the creators, including Who's Streets and Brimstone and Glory. And we'll link to all of those in the podcast post. Also now available to stream is a self-induced hallucination. But enough about my trip to Florida. Um <laughs> I hope that would go over well. I apologize. Uh, producer Dan Schoenbrunn is uh, no stranger to no film school. After releasing his omnibus Collective Unconscious, the 2016 South by Southwest film he originated and executive produced with five fellow filmmakers, uh, they all sat down and spoke about their outside-the-box creation on a podcast about 
two years ago. Uh, the following year, after touring the country with season one of his episodic What's It? The Eye Slicer, Sean Brunn contributed a guest post about the project's winding road to self-distribution. And he had also been on a podcast with Ryan a few years back when Dan was the film lead at Kickstarter. Uh, his latest project is a documentary, quote unquote, on the internet urban legend known as The Slender Man. And the doc consists solely of found footage on YouTube. So there are all these... I mean, the Slenderman myth mythology kind of originated online, and it is a, as they say, creepy pasta. Um, so it makes sense that in order to make a movie about it, you're using clips exclusively found on the internet. Uh, the documentary was released free of charge on Tuesday, uh, and we're featuring it on the site this week, complete with an interview with Dan that goes deep into his quote-unquote surprise release strategy and why the filmmaker finds the art versus commerce debate to be important, but not a deal breaker for delivering passionate, heartfelt work. Obviously, when you're making a movie like this with material found, uh, there's not a lot of profit that you can gain from something like this. So it was an experience that he wanted to make. I'm really excited about this one. I mean, Dan never disappoints, at least in his um, quest to sort of push the envelope in indie filmmaking. Definitely. Yeah. And there's even an extended Dr. Drew clip in there, which... uh, I'd prefer a Dr. Dre clip, but whatever. Oh, I'm not going to spoil everything. (laughs) And hitting theaters this week on June 22nd, you can catch Damsel which is one of the best movies I've seen at a festival this year. The Zellner Brothers' follow-up to Kumiko Treasure Hunter is a really fun, hilarious, and sometimes actually thrilling ride. It's a Western unlike any you've ever seen before. It features some truly outstanding performances by Robert Pattinson and Maya Wasikowska. Even both of the directors try their hand at acting and manage to create a pair of memorable characters themselves. It takes place in the Wild West, circa 1870. Samuel Alabaster is an affluent pioneer who ventures across the American frontier to marry the love of his life, Penelope. But as his group traverses the West, the once simple journey grows treacherous, blurring the lines between hero, villain, and damsel. There's also an amazing twist in the film that will definitely blow you away. You can listen to a great interview I did with the Zellners back in Utah called The Zellner Brothers on why you need to do something new with every film you make, where they talk a lot about this film and really their entire creative process. Another film that's coming out on June 22nd is The Catcher Was a Spy. I also caught this movie back at Sundance this year, and I'm glad to see it's gotten distribution and it's lined up for release this week. It was directed by Ben Lewin, who, now in his 70s, had been trying to bring the film to the big screen for years. It tells the story of Mo Berg, a queer Jewish major league baseball player who was hired by the U.S. government during World War II as a spy. His mission? To kill Werner Heisenberg before he could finish creating the atomic bomb for the Nazis. While it may sound absurd, the story is 100% true. Paul Rudd plays the aforementioned Mo Berg. And I sat down with Ben Lewin to discuss his career, coping with the post-production blues, and most importantly, how to maintain your sanity when making a living as a director. You can listen to that podcast, How to Maintain Your Sanity as a Director, When Everything Descends into Chaos, on the site, or do a little scrolling in iTunes down to January. And now for some upcoming deadlines for grants and other opportunities. The Flies Collective Film Grant has a deadline on June 30th. This is a grant for filmmakers from the Brooklyn-based production company of Flies Collective, helmed by indie filmmakers Daniel Patrick Carbone, Matthew Pettick, and Zach Shedd. Do you know any of those guys? Uh, Dan uh, Dan Patrick Carbone, yeah, he was one of the directors on Collective Unconscious, and uh, he directed the doc uh, that was at Tribeca that I just saw and spoke with him about, um, Phantom Cowboys, which was quite good. 
Well, this grant is now in its second year, and it's offering up to $15,000 to bold filmmakers working with low budgets. I applied to it last year and was not selected. They say they place a special focus on the kinds of projects that go largely unnoticed by, or simply don't qualify for, the majority of traditional grant-based fundraising avenues. It's open to any filmmaker making any film. I'm sure you just didn't go, uh, you didn't get accepted because your film is bound to get noticed and not go unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Someone's going to come out a loser either way. (laughs) Well, join us next week to find out who was. (laughs) Okay, and on June 30th is a deadline for the Glass Animation Grant Program. That's Glass as in G-L-A-S, singular. Possibly Uh, Gloss. Possibly Gloss. We don't see too many grants for animated shorts popping up often, so if you have a project in mind, definitely check out this new opportunity from the people behind the Glass Animation Festival. For the first round of grants, there will be two separate $2,500 grants to be awarded to two individual filmmakers that can enable them to create independent animated short films. Uh, And also on a deadline of June 30th, an early deadline rather, is the American Zoetrope 2018 Screenwriting Contest. Here's your chance to win $5,000 and get your script recognized for its compelling narrative by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Remember he directed that mafia movie? Not Gotti. The other one. Well, Gotti is the real Godfather. That was the best one. You're right, the Godfather. Well, Gotti is now the best. Yeah. In the 15th Annual Zoetrope Screenwriting Contest, the mission of the American Zoetrope Screenplay Contest is to find and promote new and innovative voices in cinema. Every script is read closely by a select handful of professional readers, and Francis Ford Coppola himself selects a grand prize winner from among the top 10 finalists. The grand prize winner receives that cash prize, and the scripts of all top 10 finalists are sent by Zoetrope to leading production companies and talent agencies for consideration. I don't know if it comes with a bottle of wine as well. Probably. It should come. Didn't you get a bottle of the Coppola? I got, yeah, I got all these little rosé sparkling things that I gave to friends. John loves a sparkling rosé. It's possible that that's included in this. We just don't have all the notes, but. It's a great opportunity, though. It's like this is one of those ones where if you have a screenplay, why not? Mm Mm-hmm. And we've got some festival deadlines for you, too. On June 23rd is the deadline for the Heartland Film Festival, which takes place in Indianapolis, Indiana, from October 12th to 22nd this year. The festival now has cash prizes ranging from $500 to $25,000. And last year, they awarded a combined $110,000 in cash prizes. Over the years since 1992, they've actually given out $3.1 million, which is the largest total amount awarded by any film festival in North America. I mean, I didn't know about this, but cash prizes at festivals in general are kind of rare, and we try to highlight it when we can. And in this case, here's a festival you might not hear much about, and it might not be on every coolest list. But man, if you have the chance to win that kind of cash, definitely, definitely worth applying. Uh, The grand prize winners for both Best narrative feature and documentary feature each get 25K. It's also an Academy Award qualifying festival in the short films category and, of course, is one of Movie Maker's top 50 film festivals worth the entry fee, probably because of all that cash that's up for grabs. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I've heard of Heartland Film Festival so many times, but I had no idea where it was. It was in the Heartland. Well, yeah, it's in the Heartland. It's also funny because I don't actually think of Indiana as being like a Heartland state. Yeah, yeah I thought it was yeah. Florida. What? I thought it was Jersey. Isn't Florida the heartland? Jersey's the heartland? <laughs> no, it's, it's like the heartland. It's the middle. It's the like middle, the right? middle like, of the country. Yeah. The heart of America. Yeah. yeah. So o- I think like of Oklahoma? like- Oklahoma? Well, like, Tallahassee, yeah. Florida. Oh. 
Jacksonville? Camden, New Jersey. Yeah, I think that might be it. <laughs> um, what's the fart land? Oh, God. Maybe it's Hartford. Maybe. Oh. Uh, you never know. <laughs> so the Hartford Film Festival. Her, the Hartland no, but Film Camden, Festival. Camden, New Jersey really does smell like farts. I've been there. They have a nice aquarium. <laughs> I'm not joking. Liz finds fish hilarious. <laughs> that wasn't even a joke, everybody. I, I really, there is a nice, it's right over the bridge to Philadelphia. And with the deadline of June 27th is the Portland Film Festival. Now that is... Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. So we're just being specific. Not Portland, New Jersey. Definitely not. The Portland Film Festival takes place in Oregon from October 22nd through the 28th, 2018. The week-long event is jam-packed with networking, workshops, guest speakers, film premieres, financing talks, director Q&As, and more. It's one of the top 100 reviewed film festivals on Film Freeway. Not that you should listen to those trolls behind a keyboard. And one of Movie Maker's 50 film festivals worth the entry fee. In fact, our very own Nights and Weekends editor, V. Renee, and one of our writers, Paula Bernstein, were on a panel at the festival last year. I hope they will be again. And the Tacoma Film Festival has a deadline on June 25th. This is the extended deadline. It takes place in Tacoma, Washington from October 4th to the 11th, 2018. It's been on the 50 film festivals where the entry fee list from 2014 to 2018. It accepts submissions for both VR projects and music videos, staying with the times, it has a whole bunch of industry and filmmaker-oriented panels and classes, as well as networking parties and after parties. And, of course, there's a whole bunch of cash prizes that you should go and check out on their site. And now we have come to the first day of summer's weekly words of wisdom. wisdom. <laughs> Wear shorts. Wisdom. <laughs> Exactly. Get some AC. So the weekly words of wisdom this week is near and dear to my heart. About a year ago, I received an email from a young director who was inspired by an interview that I did with commercial director Jen McGowan, and he was inspired to break into commercial directing himself. He wrote the loveliest note thanking us and relating how he had made an unsolicited spec ad for BMW, which he sent to them, and they liked, and they ended up sharing on their social channels and then how this had led him to getting contacted for some actual paid work. So that was kind of just the beginning of his journey. And now, almost exactly one year later, his first primetime TV ad for Nike aired last week. So this director's name is Toby Waskow, and not only has he now directed spots and branded content for companies like Oakley, Foot Locker, Fujifilm, and the UN, but he also wrote about this whirlwind journey in an article for No Film School called How I Went from Directing My First Spec Ad to Primetime TV Spot in Eight Months. This whole thing, in a way, contains several words of wisdom, his whole story. Have a vision for what you want, be willing to put in the work, don't be afraid to ask for the things you need, and be grateful to those who help along the way. But he also got specific in his article. In one section about being an entrepreneur, he shared, quote, from my experience, the only way to be a director in any medium is also to be an entrepreneur. You have to hustle, be tenacious, and take risks. Nobody's going to offer you a job. You have to will one into existence. And after you've created one job for yourself, you then have to create another and another until the jobs start to create themselves. End quote. So this is exactly what Toby did. And I encourage you all to read the post, which we'll link to in the podcast post. And I want to say to Toby that we may have given you some initial inspiration, but it's people like you who inspire us to do what we do here every day. So thank you so much. And for this week's shout outs and special events, uh, the 10th annual BAM Cinema Fest 
Festival uh, takes place in Fort Greene here in Brooklyn over the next 10 days. It's the Brooklyn Academy of Music summer event showcasing the best independent films, new independent films, making their New York debuts. Of course, Rooftop Films is in the mix for showcasing the best New York debuts as well, but the vibe is a little different. The festival takes place right down the block from where we're recording this podcast, and last night the festival kicked off with its opening night film, Sorry to Bother You. Their spotlight section includes Crime and Punishment and Eighth Grade, which for me, Eighth Grade was a version of Crime and Punishment, while the centerpiece film is Leave No Trace and Closing Night is Madeline's Madeline. These films had their world premieres at Sundance this past January, and other titles in the festival that we caught in Park City include Bisbee 17, Clara's Ghost, Shirkers, Skate Kitchen, and Wild Nights with Emily. Uh, the Gospel of Eureka will also be playing there, and no word yet on if an after party is in store for that doc yet, but if it's anything like the one they threw at Cheer Up Charlie's at South by Southwest, it will definitely be worth attending. That was really fun. That was a really fun one. Uh, we'll be covering select titles at this year's festival, and that coverage will go up over the next two weeks. So if you're in the Brooklyn area now through July 1st, you should definitely come and check it out. Is Mandy going to be there? Mandy was Mandy declined an appearance. That they gave sense. it opening and closing night to bookend the festival because mm-hmm. that's the way you do it. And they Mandy said no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn, no, no. Mm-hmm. Gotti's going to be in it instead. Gotti, Gotti will be in the festival. Good. Yeah, there's going to be a retrospective for all you Gotti of, heads. Of Gotti, there's going to be there's going to be an art installation of Gotti projected on the building while each film is going screening in the festival. Bam. Exactly. See what I did there. <laughs> So speaking of movies we saw at Sundance, next Monday's podcast will be one from Sundance that Oakley did with several team members of the cast and crew of Lords of Chaos, including director Jonas Ackerland, Rory Culkin, Jack Kilmer, and Sky Ferreira. The film is an adaptation of the real-life story of Mayhem, which is an infamous death metal band, and there's a pretty gnarly story behind it, so take a listen. Meanwhile, for gaudy heads and non-gaudy heads alike, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, you can read about everything that we talked about in this episode and more at nofilmschool.com. And uh, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe so you can listen to all of our shows um, on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And hey, when you take a minute to give us those nice reviews on iTunes, it goes a long way. So we appreciate it. Meanwhile, please do stay in touch. I'm at Liz Film on Twitter. I'm at Eric Lures. I'm at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Jim underscore Tom. And we're all at Gotti Heads. Yeah, well, let's go see Gotti this weekend. Can I gotta. We, can we use Movie Pass for it? <laughs> Maybe that's the only film that you could not use Movie Pass for. Hmm. Anyway, find out by tweeting us all at No Film School. See you next Thursday. Bye.